0: What a great song. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. That shouldn't be difficult to do. Today is week number four in a sermon series that we're walking through called Worldview in Focus. And we've identified the eight important questions that every person on the planet is answering. And they answer those questions out of the worldview that they hold to. Question one from a couple of weeks ago was related to truth. Is there truth? Is it objective uh, truth, unchanging truth, or is it relative? Does it change from person to person? Is there your truth, my truth, or is there the truth? The biblical worldview is there is the truth. We believe that this is a reliable record of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the time of other eyewitnesses and these eyewitnesses report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies and they claimed that their writings were divine in origin and not human. We believe at Grace Life that this book is like no other book. This is the book of all books. This book comes out of the lungs of God. It is the inspired, the inerrant, the infallible, the authoritative, the everlasting, unchanging Word of God. It's truth. The second big question that we talked about last week is does God exist? And if God exists, then what is he like? And we said from the word of God, yes, God exists. And what he is like is he is sovereign. That means that he right now is actively ruling and reigning and governing and controlling and presiding over all things. And today we come to the big question number three that everybody's asking. Everybody is asking this question along their course of life. And it's this, where do we come from? How did we get here? All the worldviews that we've talked about, when you come to this question, they kind of diverge into one of two places. The the, the one place that the worldviews dive into with this is they will say, We're just one big cosmic accident. There was some big explosion, and out of non-living things came living things. We're just here by random chance. All of life is nothing more than the random collection of stardust. That's all that we are, according to that those worldviews, we're just random collections of stardust. Or the second view is that we know that this world was intelligently designed and created by supreme intelligence. We call him God. Now those who hold to that worldview of thinking we're merely here by chance, we're 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 here just randomly. They would say of somebody like me, well, blind faith is just it's just silly. You you're, you're just going by blind faith, and they would say, I have something stronger than blind faith. I have human reasoning. I, I use my brain, right? And, and so then I want to ask them, well, where does your brain come from? Because your worldview says your brain evolved from a mindless, unguided process that eventually somehow got to where it is out of pond scum. And and, and so you're going with that? That's what you're going with? Look, here's the reality. Every worldview requires some faith. Every worldview does. No worldview can account intelligently, rationally for all the unknowns. But here's what I'm saying to you today. The biblical worldview is a less blind faith than all of the other worldviews put together. God doesn't call you and I to believe blindly. He's a God of evidence. He's a God of proof. He's a God of rationale. For example, we touched last week on the moral argument for the existence of God. And I told you that when you watch the animal planet and you watch the hyenas attack the pigs, you don't get bent out of shape. You don't get online and go, the travesty, the horror, the evil that I just saw perpetrated before my very eyes. No, it's hyenas and pigs doing what hyenas and pigs do. But we are outraged when we see a person, a person being bullied or hurt or harmed, and, and rightfully so. But if our worldview says that all living things are just random collections of stardust, then what's the difference? Why is a human being more valuable than a pig? Well, you know, as well as I know, we all know that in our heart, there's something different about human beings. Why does every human being know that? Because God has written his law on every human heart. There's a sense within us that we know there is a God. We know there's an eternity. We know there's objective right. We know there's objective wrong. We know there's righteousness. We know there is evil. There is truth that is known in every human heart. But this morning we wanna talk about where we come from. So where did we come from? Let's start at the beginning, Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, the beginning of what? The beginning of this universe, the beginning of this world. In the beginning, God. God was already there, by the way. When all of this began, God was there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, some class participation. We're going to just hit the high points of Genesis chapter 1 to save us a little time. But every time you see those words, and God said, I want you to say it with me. All right. Verse 3. And God said, try it again. And God said, there you go. Let there be light. And there was light. Verse 6. And God said. Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. Verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Verse 11, And God said... Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so, verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. Verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Here's the deal with evolution. It cannot explain how life began. What evolution teaches is that living things sprang from non-living material. Now that's interesting because every evolutionary biology book teaches that one of the foundational laws of biology is that living things cannot come from non-living things. Yet the entire theory of evolutionary biology is based upon this premise that living things came from non-living things, thus violating their own basic law. But the biblical worldview is that everything, including all living things are here because God said, because God spoke everything into existence. You said it with me again and again, and God said, and God said. Listen, you could say that our universe is a word-based universe. I would write that down. Our universe is a word-based universe. God spoke words. And those words gave birth to everything that is in existence today. He spoke words. Now, that's interesting. Because in John chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, "...in the beginning was the word." Notice that's capitalized. So we're talking about a person. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. All things were made through Him, the Word. And without Him, the Word was not anything made that was made. In Him, the Word was life. That's where life comes from. Life doesn't come from non-living things. Life comes from the life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Who is he? Who is this word? Get down to verse 14. John says, and the word became flesh. That is, he became a human and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. The Bible clearly tells us that everything has been created from the Word, the Word who was in the beginning with God, the Word who in the beginning was God, that this Word put on human flesh, became a man and walked on this planet, lived a perfect, sinless life, died a death in our place on a cross and was raised from the dead on the third day. He is the Creator of all things and His name is Jesus. He is the Word an evolutionist, an atheist, a secular humanist, a naturalist, they have no basis in their worldview, no rational basis for where life comes from. But I do. It comes from God. We live in a word-built, word-built, word-built world. And here's what I'm telling you today. That's not silly, crazy, blind faith. In 1953, it's exciting that you and I get to live in the days that we live, because science keeps going, "Uh, oh yeah, (laughs) right? So in 1953, two scientists by the name of James Watson and Francis Crick, they discovered this genetic structure that all living things have deep inside the nucleus of our cells we call this genetic material DNA now more than half a century later scientists have been able to decipher the code of DNA that's why we have all these companies now that you can spit in a tube and mail your spit off and they'll tell you about brothers and sisters you didn't know you had right they're doing this through modern technology of DNA Here's what's interesting is today, some of you will go to a restaurant after church and you'll sit down and you'll be handed a menu. And you're going to look at that menu and it's not going to occur to you that, oh my gosh, would you look at this? What are the chances that random letters happen to fall onto this this piece of paper and line themselves up in the way that they line themselves up? up with what my eyes and my brain can understand I get to randomly by chance put all this stuff together that's not what you're going to do at all but the language encoded and it is a language the language that's encoded in your DNA is far bigger than a lunch menu and the evolutionist would have us believe blindly that it just happened by chance Just sheer luck. Here's the thing we know about DNA. It's identifiable. It's readable. You know why DNA is identifiable and readable? Because it's a language. Something is being communicated in our DNA. For something to be considered a language, it has to meet three specific characteristics. Here's the three characteristics. One, it has to have a coding system. There has to be like letters of the alphabet or keystrokes if you're creating a language for software or for computers, right? So there's gotta be a coding system. Secondly, for something to be a language, it has to have proper arrangement of the code. The letters have to be in the right place. The keystrokes have to fall in the right place. Gibberish isn't a language, you understand? The third thing that makes something a language is it has to have semantics. There has to be meaning. There has to be purpose or intentionality behind it. Here's the amazing thing about DNA. It meets all three characteristics. It's a language. It's a form of communication, a very complex and a very precise language. And we should not, as God's people, be surprised by that because the Bible said over and over and over on the very first page, God said, God said, and God said. We live in a word-built universe. As Louis Giglio says, we've all been marked by majesty. We've been created in the very image of God, by the very breath of God. And when you, I hope you do, walk out the back doors out here and walk outside of this beautiful campus today, Just pay attention, because all living things are reverberating with the Word of God. His Word is still being spoken in the world around us today. Now, here's the story of you. Just one cell from your dad found one cell from your mom. The cell from your mom was carrying half of her DNA, The cell from your dad was carrying half of his DNA. And those two cells met and they fell in love. And they became one single cell. That's you. And when they met, they began to form, and this is stunning, they began to form a brand new, all original DNA code. In the history of all living things, there's never been another one that was coded like you. If we have another billion years, or not another, I don't believe we had a billion, but if we get a billion years from now, there's never going to be another living thing that has the same code as you have. It's all brand new, all original, never duplicated. And those two cells come together and they began to write out what we now know is the three billion character description of who you are of who God wanted you to be, of who God designed you to be. Those three billion characters are the description of who God has ordained you to be. All that in just one little cell that's so small. We can't even begin to see that today, or fathom how small that is, but three billion in that one little cell. Here's what's crazy. If you took all the DNA, all that language, out of just one cell, And you stretched it out. It would stretch out six feet long. Almost as tall as me today. That was like pity laughter. That was like, we didn't get the joke and you're short, right? Like, you are a loser on two levels right there. If if I were to stretch out all the DNA from just one of your cells, those three billion characters long, and read each character at a rate of a character per second. It would take me 96 years to read your God-given code from just one cell of your body. And you ought to know this about yourself. You've been an overachiever since you became that cell because as soon as you got half a mom and half a dad, now you got you going on that one cell set out to replicate itself into 10 trillion cells with each cell containing 3 billion DNA codes, symbols, keystrokes, letters of the alphabet, right? Here's what's amazing now. If we take all 10 trillion cells of who you are with 3 billion parts of dna and all of that and we stretch all of that out the story of who god has created you to be would stretch to the moon and back one hundred and seventy-eight thousand times you thought i was stopping at the moon and back didn't you the story that god has written about who you are if you stretched it all out it could wrap around our solar system twice and there's never been another. There'll never be another. Lee Strobel says this, he said, "'The data at the core of life is organized, "'complex and specific information "'that can accomplish a bewildering task, "'the building of biological machines "'that far outstrip human technological capabilities.'" Listen, our DNA is complex and specific information. The question is, who is the complex informant who put that information inside us? Who placed this language of life into all living beings? I feel like Arnold Horshack. I know, oh, oh, oh. You got to be like older than me to get that. Some of you just missed out. We've been introducing our children to some of the old classics here lately. Pluto TV. If you're a child of the 80s, you can get Pluto TV and you'll have a ball. We know where this came from. The discovery of DNA and the deciphering of DNA in the last 50 years has challenged science like nothing else in our lifetime. Werner Git, a German engineer, and a professor of information systems. DNA is an information system, so he knows his stuff when it comes to information systems. He says this, the basic flaw of all evolutionary views is the origin of the information, or DNA, in living beings. It has never been shown that a coding system and semantic, that is meaningful information, could originate by itself. A purely material origin of life is thus ruled out. Dr. Stephen Meyer, director of the Center for Science and Culture at the Discovery Institute in Seattle, Washington, he considers the recent discovery of DNA and the deciphering of the DNA code to be the Achilles heel for evolutionary theory. He says evolutionists are still trying to apply Darwin's 19th century thinking to a 21st century reality and is not working. I think the information revolution taking place in biology is sounding the death knell for Darwinism and chemical evolutionary theories. I believe that the testimony of science supports theism." Hey look, if you believe in God, you're pro-science. Because science, when you do it right, is pointing us to the existence of God. While there, he says, will always be points of tension or unresolved conflict, the major developments in science in the past five decades have been running in a strongly theistic, belief in God direction. Anthony Flew, a British philosopher, Oxford professor, and a leading champion of atheism for the last 50 years, he honestly followed the evidence of DNA. And in 2004, he renounced his secular, humanistic, atheistic worldview, he renounced all that. In a published interview with another philosopher, Flew said, my whole life has been guided by the principle of Plato's Socrates, follow the evidence wherever it leads. So after holding to this scientific worldview, humanistic, naturalistic worldview for more than five decades, Flew concluded this, quote, a super intelligence is the only good explanation for the origin of life and the complexity of nature. All right, so look, where do we come from? I'm telling you, we come from the lungs of God. God spoke, God said, and God said, and God said. And and we talked about the moral law for the existence of God. He's written that in our heart. We've talked about the complexity of DNA. But what about if we look not just as far in as we can, but as far out as we can, what will we see? After day, the Bible says they pour forth what? Speech. They pour forth speech day after day. We are in a word based universe. Why is our universe finely tuned for life? Because in the beginning the word created, and in the word was life. Look, we've talked about the moral argument for God. We've talked about the complexity of our DNA. We've talked about the fine-tuning argument for God. One more. Let's talk about the cosmological argument for God. Three points to this. We'll put them up here so you can see them. Number one is this. Everything that begins to exist has a cause, right? That's why you don't show up here at church on Sunday going, I wonder what is going to pop into existence on the platform this week. Maybe a zebra, right? No, no. Nothing just pops into existence. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. Secondly, the universe began to exist. It's funny, the Bible's told us that all along. The scientific community, for the most part, didn't believe that for hundreds of years. But in the last hundred years, they changed their mind on that. Discoveries like the expansion rate of the universe, the... um. Second law of thermodynamics, scientists like Andrew Hubble of the famous now Hubble Telescope have now come to the conclusion our universe did indeed have a point of origin. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. They would say the point of origin is a thing called the Big Bang. I really don't have an argument with that. I just know the one who said bang. That's all. Number three, because everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, something caused the universe to come into existence. I tried to create a universe, but this is the best I could come up with today. Just imagine this is all going back to the beginning where God said, bang. And as Hubble's been telling us, the universe has a consistent expansion rate now that's been going on ever since that time. Now, here's the thing about our universe here. There's a continuum that functions and operates in this universe called the time-space-matter continuum. They don't operate apart from each other. They're necessary and dependent upon each other. Let me read this quote from AllAboutScience.org. The general theory of relativity demonstrates that time is linked or related to matter and space. And thus, the dimensions of time, space, and matter constitute what we would call a continuum. They must come into being at precisely the same time. Because they don't exist independent of each other. They had to come into existence at the same instant. The universe, time, space, and matter could not create itself. Something outside, there had to be a cause outside of itself that caused it. So whatever caused the universe to come into existence operates outside of it. The word for that is transcendent. It is transcendent. It lives and operates outside of it. Nature exists in this time-space continuum, so whatever is transcendent to all this is also transcendent to nature. That means whatever caused all of this is also supernatural. Third, time, space, and matter came into existence in this universe. It's a continuum that's still in play today. That means that whatever caused time, space, and matter to come into existence must operate outside of time and space and matter. Therefore, whatever operates outside of time is not limited by time. It must be eternal. If it operates, whatever caused all this operates outside of space, dimensions, it must be boundless, limitless. And if whatever caused all of this material matter to come into existence. It must exist outside of matter, therefore it's immaterial, or we could say spiritual. Does that make sense? So whatever did all of that has to be incredibly powerful, incredibly intelligent, incredibly purposeful. You tell me, is that not the God of the Bible that we see there? So who made God? Nobody. Nothing. God is the uncaused cause of all things. Now somebody's going, wait, the cosmological argument says everything that begins to exist has a cause. So God's got to have a cause. Uh Uh-uh. The argument is everything that begins to exist has a cause. God didn't begin to exist. He has no point of beginning. He has no point of ending he exists outside the time and space and matter continuum he's eternal in all of his ways how did we get here genesis 1 tells us you didn't have to look any further than the first sentence of the bible in the beginning god he spoke that's how we got here and out of all those things that he spoke into existence, he goes, it's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. And then he pe- picked up dirt, blew into it, and created man. For man formed woman. And then God stepped back and he went, that's very good. Because he put something in us that he didn't put in pigs. He didn't put in hyenas. He stamped his own image on every single human life. Listen, every human, this is why our worldview, y'all, this is why the biblical worldview is the hope of the world. Every human being is created in the image of God from the womb to the tomb and everything in between. Every breath of every human being, every beat of every human being's heart is a sacred moment. You have been marked by majesty and every other human being that you ever will lay your eyes on. They equally have been marked by that very same majesty. That's the worldview that our world needs to know about today, that our world needs to embrace today, because it's the right one. It's the truth. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knows you. And he loves you to the moon and back 178,000 times. He knows all three billion parts of your DNA in all 10 million cells of your body. And in the last three seconds, 50,000 of those died and 50,000 more just kicked in. Psalm 33 says this, The Lord, and grace-like people, you look at that word, Lord, what do you see? Mm, Yeah, Yahweh, Jesus, the Word. Merely, what? Spoke. We're in a Word-based universe. He merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the Word, and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. Verse 14, from his throne, he observes all who live on the earth. He made their hearts. So he understands everything they do. The best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory. For all its strength, it cannot save you. But here's the promise. But the Lord watches over those who fear him. Those who rely on his unfailing love. Here's the promise. He rescues them from death. And he keeps them alive in times of famine. That's God's promise to you today. If you will fear him and you will rely on him and you will trust him, he will rescue you. And if I could just go back to last Sunday for just a moment and say, I know that many of you today, you're hurting. I heard from you this week. I know the pain is real. I know the questions are big. I know the suffering runs deep. But I'm telling you, the one who speaks solar systems into existence, he longs to hold you and your heart and your hurts. He's asking you to trust him, to rely on him. He proved that because 2,000 years ago, the star breather became the sin bearer. He put on, the the star breather put on human flesh for the sole purpose of paying for your sin and for my sin on a cross. And the cross reminds us that God doesn't always change our circumstances. Even with his one and only son suffering on a cross, God did not change those circumstances. But the cross reminds us God has a purpose. God has a plan. He loves us. And he's working for our good and for his glory. I'm telling you today, this one who spoke everything into existence, no matter how dark, no matter how difficult your day may be. He loves you, he cares about you. And if you'll trust him today, he'll carry you through. I'm not telling you it'll be easy. I'm not telling you it won't be without a lot of bumps, but it will be without loneliness. He will walk with you and carry you through. And I know it's a big deal to put your trust in somebody. One of the people I walked a lot with around the lake this week, we admitted to each other, we just struggle to trust people. Some of you struggle to trust people too. I'm not asking you to trust just anybody today. I'm asking you to trust the one who right now in an instant can read all three billion characters of your DNA code in all 10 trillion cells that wrap around the solar system twice. He knows you. The question today is will you trust him would you decide today while there may not be many people I know around me that are worthy of my trust unequivocally without doubt or reservation he is worthy he is worthy for me to give my whole life to he is worthy for me to place this situation into his hands he is worthy of being the one to carry my burdens. You don't have to walk out of here the same way you came in today. God said, if you will rely on my unfailing love and you'll trust me, I'll come to your rescue. But you gotta answer the question, is he worthy of your trust? So Holy Spirit, I pray that we would be convinced today that there is none like Jesus He alone is worthy of all of our trust. I would invite you to stand as you answer that question today. Is he worthy for you to place your life in his hands?